and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. My name is Carla. I have been a dog groomer since 2014. Over time, be it before an exam, at the side of a competition ring or online, I have had many a quiet chat with fellow dog groomers who, like myself, struggle at times to balance life, work and maintaining a healthy well-being. My aim is to talk to both professional dog groomers and mental health professionals to help us understand what triggers stress and anxiety within our industry, why so many of us struggle with our mental health and what we can do to help ourselves. I also want to share stories and handy tips to make life in the salon easier. I am not a professional in mental health and I am not qualified or trained to give advice in this area. I am however interested in mental health and what effects our work can have on our well-being and finding ways to help. So, whether you are a brand new groomer or you have been at it for decades, whether you struggle with your mental health or work with a groomer who does, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. Before I begin with today's show, I would like to take this opportunity to congratulate everyone on their Liz Paul Awards last night. I was so proud to see so many fabulous groomers recognised for the incredible work that they do within our industry. Anyway, my guest today is no stranger to an award. Alison Rogers has won the European Champion of Champions. She has won Groomer of the Year twice, Professional Groomer of the Year, World Grooming Judge of the Year and Northern Groomer of the Year. She has worked around dogs since she left school. She has been a competitive groomer. She's owned several grooming businesses. She has trained people, examined people and judged people and travelled all over the world. And represented us on Groom Team England. She now works for Artero and she is still sharing knowledge to fellow groomers and helping them on their way. Alison has clearly achieved great things in her career. But today we talk of some of the challenges and the struggles that she faced. And we speak about some of the people who have supported her along the way. So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did and that you can take something from it too. Here we go. Hi Alison, welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers. How are you today? I'm good, how are you? Well, getting there, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. Getting there, recovering. <laughs> I think most people will know who you are and about you, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your career? The first dog I groomed was uh, an American cockapoo. And when I was 14 in Canada, my uh, uncle's dog, and all I did was shave it off. Okay, It was just like he was bathing it and he was like, come on, you can have a go. And that's what we did. I'd done some work experience at a, like a dog show kennels and they had a bit of grooming there when I was at school. The reason I did that is because I don't know if many of you know I'm dyslexic. And when you do your work experience, a lot of your like careers, teachers or like vet what you're doing and stuff like that. So what I actually wanted to do for career and what I ended up doing was slightly different because I kept getting told I couldn't do it because of my dyslexia. Right, okay. okay. Not by my parents. I think if I had have been told that by my parents, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Okay, so a lot of what I've done and now I've achieved is down to them and down to the fact that they always told me if you put your mind to it and you set set a goal you can do anything it might take you a little bit harder because you're dyslexic or you have other issues that you know you're learning issues that I accidentally fell into working at these sort of stray kennels and show kennels so I worked there for work experience and then when I left school I liked it so much and I got a job there and I worked for a lady called Edith Miller 
or Nichols that you might know her. I know Gary knows her very well. She actually showed and bred German Shepherds and Australian cattle dogs. And I learned a hell of a lot. She was like the Barbara uh, Woodhouse. So this was like an icon of mine, you know, a trainer, very strict. She was very much like that. Okay. So if you didn't do it right, you got told, you know, you wouldn't be allowed to get away with that these days. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Very direct. But do you know what? I learned a hell of a lot. When we weren't grooming dogs or cleaning up poo or showing the dogs or handling the dogs or trying to practice training with the dogs, we were sat in the like the house that was at the at the kennels, okay? It was like yeah. a quarter cabin type house. It was like really rustic, okay. you know, back yeah. then. And um, we were learning about dog breeds and things like that. And you could quiz me about any dog breed and I'd be able to tell you what it was, what, what history it was. And that's down to her and down to her staff that she had. And I truly believe that I wouldn't have been the woman I, I am today if it wasn't for her and my parents pushing and saying, yes, you can do stuff. The amount of knocks I had at school saying yeah. that you wouldn't achieve anything. After obviously working there, I went and worked in a pet shop. And I yep. learned about hand-rearing parrots and we did grooming there. So I learned a lot about nutrition. I did a lot of nutrition courses like you can Uber and Hills. You pick up little bits. Now, I yeah. wasn't qualified at this point. I was doing grooming dogs. I was doing hand-rearing parrots. I was training dogs. I had a lot of uh, on-thing experience. Like hands-on experience. Yeah, definitely. Then I went over to, while I was there, I went over to Russia as well. I worked in a, for seven wow. days in Animal Sanctuary and we helped so yeah. I went over there with, again, another icon, uh, Sid Jenkins. He used to write books and do films back in the day. He was an RSPCA inspector. He was one of my tutors at college. While I was right. working at school, I was going day release to college to learn animal care. Him and Adele Wright, I think Adele still teaches in Sheffield, Sheffield College now. And um, again, Sid Jenkins believed in me. He got, he got me through my theory on my sitting gills dog grooming. Because I failed the first time. You know, people think they see me now and they see what I do now and they think that I had an easy life and that I just like paid so much money, went on a six weeks course. You know, I didn't. I probably like three years before I got my qualification. There's, yeah, a hell of a lot of graft went into that learning. Yeah. Um, I did the animal care qualification that David Cavill wrote. A lot of these people that I'm naming are icons of the industry that have built these qualifications to be what is now. And I think... People forget very quickly that without these people, the industry wouldn't be what it is today. It's nice that you've shared the fact that it, it wasn't easy, but the persistence yeah. and the support that you had from your family and that did help you get to where you wanted to in the end. So for like anyone else out there who thinks, oh, I really struggle with written work, I really struggle with theory. It's nice to see someone like yourself who has achieved in the industry saying like, yeah, you can do it you know if yeah. you really want to do it and you can really sort of like push yourself and just have that sort of keep going keep going keep going you'll get there that's a really nice thing for people to hear because there's a lot of people who do struggle with theory and stuff like that and like you say getting lots of different experience and lots of different hands-on and following people that inspire you and things like that these things can be achieved and you've done really well so I bet when you did sort of do all of your exams and get to the point where like you were actually a groomer you know working for yourself you, it must be really make you really proud because you know what's mm. gone into it I was one of them groomers that set up my salon and wasn't qualified when when people bang on and say um you don't need to be qualified you just need the experience sort of there's a bit of yes and no there why wouldn't mm -hmm. you want to be qualified even yeah. if it is even if it's a, a scary thing 
I mean, I set my business up when I was 19. And I bet it was a couple of years after that, maybe about a year or so to two. Bearing in mind, I'd done other animal cold patients. Yeah. But I bet you it was, because I'd worked at a couple of salons before I set my own up. So I was like straight out of school, in kennels, in grooming. And then gradually from working at that pet shop and grooming, that's when I became a groomer full time. Worked at another groomer's. Then I had my own salon. While I had my own salon, I had five jobs to keep keep that salon going. So I'd rented a back room of a a smaller pet shop. And a month after I'd rented that room, he's like, I'm selling the pet shop. I got a loan off uh, the Prince's Trust, amazing charity. I also um, got two grand off my grandma. And that's what stead me up to set up. I think I set up with four grand, which is nothing these days. I know that. And I was in the back room. So I'd just done it all out, kitted it all out. And then he was like, oh, we're selling the pet shop. So to me, I wasn't bothered because my goal wasn't to set up my own business. The only reason I set up my own business is because when I moved from salon to salon mm-hmm. and then went back to college to do uh, some more qualifications, like full-time animal care qualifications at Leeds College, my customers followed me. And my mum had had enough of on a Sunday, she couldn't cook dinner until I'd finished grooming <laughs> like cleaning the kitchen because if it wasn't if it was sunny outside that was fine I was doing it outside but if I didn't even have anywhere to do it I was doing it in my mum's kitchen but then by the time you get to the point where you have your own salon it's like it was worth it do you know what I mean it's sort of I don't know I never felt that didn't you you no because because what happened then is I had my own salon and then Huddersfield Technical College approached me they came and visited the salon because I knew them from working at the kennels and they were like, we need a grooming t- t- tutor. I'm like, I can't teach. I'm dyslexic. What are you on about? And um, a very good friend of mine, obviously you know her as well, Zoe Duffy, she got me through my practical um, seeing girls. Okay, without her, wouldn't have got through my practical. That's because she was teaching at Park Lane College in Leeds. I was qualified at that point and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they came and asked me to teach. And I'd built up this relationship with Zoe. She'd, she'd left Look North and she was teaching at uh, Leeds and she'd stopped doing the grooming competitions and I was like no 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 you shouldn't stop you should carry on you should never stop I can't do it on my own I went well I'll come with you why I said yeah that, god knows then actually shooting in the head so she turned around she went well if you're coming if you're if I've got to do this you're doing it with me and I'm like what that's not what I've said <laughs> <laughs> so backfired on me yeah was that how you yeah, first started coming yeah that's right yeah her fault <laughs> so, so I was like when somebody tells me they can't do something I find them a way of how to do it that's just yeah. why I've been brought up I was gonna say do you think that's because of sort of having your dyslexia that you have you you naturally have to find ways around doing things and I think it, uh, it's more not necessarily the dyslexia I think it's yeah. more being told I can't do something rather than sitting there and agreeing with them and taking it on board even though deep down I believe them and it suffers you inside and breaks you down as a person and you can adapt different habits and stuff which are not healthy habits I mean I had an eating disorder when I was young well still obviously you never don't have that I used to push emotion down so if I ever got upset or whatever I used to push the emotion down and it's obviously over the years I've had counseling and stuff and, and that's how I know that this is it but my work environment helped my personal environment so the rubbish I was going through in my personal life my work would take me to a different world almost so it'd be a bit like an, an escape sort of thing 
Yeah, but I mean, like, if you imagine you're one person at home. Yeah. When you go into work, you can be a different person. Yes. So yeah, no, acting, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like you're acting. Okay. So yeah. my confidence comes across very confident. Like now yeah. I'm talking to you, comes across. That's not necessarily what I am inside. So inside, I'm not necessarily confident. Inside, I'm probably the opposite of what I'm a very, uh, is it introvert, extrovert? Yeah. Or something yeah, introvert. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very much like that. So when I have these challenges at work, that helps my personal life, either relationships, either losses in the family, things like that. And I think this is a good thing to sort of say to people, you know, all the achievements mm-hmm. that I've done, all the I mean, there's I've won a lot of stuff. You know, I've been groomer of the year twice. I've run runner up groomer of the year. I was professional groomer and champion um, two years on the trot. The only person to do that with yeah. two different. I've travelled the world with your grooming yeah, as well, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. Well, Cardinal Crystal Award was in America, so I got yeah. nominated for international groomer, which was amazing to just get your name on that. Yeah. Oh, it was just like a lot. I've won several uh, Liz Paul awards from. I, I was the first groomer of the year, Liz Paul Award. Um, That's I won, yeah, I won that. Got a beautiful trophy in my lounge. Um, I then went on the few years after that to win Judge of the Year. I think I think it was four times. Don't, Colin will be able to tell you, but I think it was four times. Yeah. Been nominated for Speaker of the Year a few times. I've uh, my probably biggest and best win is when I won um, the European Champion of Champions. Yeah, and, that's massive, isn't it? Yeah, but getting to that event was like. Um, a hassle so it's going to take right. two be one of the bichons the vet didn't fill out the paperwork properly bearing in mind oh, that, no. that time, six or seven bichons and they all had passports yeah. and i went to the vet and i, I looked at my passport when it's not filled out and everybody else's was <gasps> we all got done at the same time and they're like well no you didn't bring that dog i went yeah i did because i bring them all at the same time and i definitely did no 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 you didn't no you didn't so oh, no. all the way up to yeah, so she was like six months growth of hair because I used to take a lot of coat. And That's then the loads last of coat on a piece. Yeah, well, Poogie as well. You, I think you met Poogie. She literally had six months growth of hair. I then competed in the Bichon, uh, the purebred scissor class. And even to today, I know I did the best groom I've ever done on him. That's and guess amazing. What? I didn't get any, I didn't get a place. I was just about to say you won. And then, oh. So my better dog. Like his took up needed to be better, right? But it was the it was the finish was, and he was amazing. And always ask the judges how can they improve, even if you don't really believe what they say. Always yeah. ask them because you can always learn. I learned more yeah. from my third places than I ever did from my best in shows. I suppose when you come third, you're so close, but like oh, just that little bit, just that little bit. And I, I think said, it's actually really nice that you've said that when you went and you didn't get placed that was the best groom you've ever done because you've walked away from that competition and you come away and you've not let it sort of like put you down it's not let you you know oh no, no I did oh, did oh no you? I did oh yeah. no oh no right so I didn't get placed yeah now I am never a sore loser no. ever because I want to learn I want to grow okay and I, th- I think that's where we're, we're losing it now in the UK is okay. people going and they expect a prize before they even compete and I wanted to learn. I didn't want that trophy. I didn't want that prize. I wanted the education. 
I came out there and I knew I'd done better, but the feedback I got was not knowledgeable feedback. I got yeah. like, well, you put too much lacquer in the coat. Well, first of all, I didn't put any airspray in him. Okay. He had a thick coat. I know he does. Yeah. Your patients have got really full coats. Good yeah. for scissors. But, but he was really bad. He was like really worse. And I did not put anything in his coat. So for me, that feedback wasn't, and I know that the took up one, right? Okay. So if they'd picked on that, then that's what I was expecting. And that's what I wanted to learn from, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't the fact, I wasn't a that I didn't get a place I mean the first place that I won was amazing and it was beautiful but yeah I was annoyed that I didn't get I didn't the get feedback, feedback you wanted not the feedback that I wanted like feedback that I could use I had the feedback that I could progress with okay yeah so I had my van there and I had Sue um Sue L. Weaver she traveled with me I was in van and I was fuming and I'm like right I'm not doing tomorrow you you've got to you've got to it no fuck it <laughs> but yeah I thought I was fuming I was livid I was yeah. like You've never seen me like that. I was walking up and down and having a rant like we do. Because I have to have a rant and then I get it over and done with and then it's done. And my friend got on the phone, uh, Peter, and he's ex-copper and dog trainer. And I was telling him and he shouted at me. He's the only guy that can ever turn around and say something to me and I'll listen and I'll just do it. He turned around and he went, pull yourself together, Alison. Put your big girl pants on. Go and get a coffee and go and bloody groom your dog because it needs grooming anyway. It's not been groomed for six months. (laughs) <laughs> and he shouted, at and I didn't argue, didn't I? I went, okay. I know now you do more judging, but when you was competing, what was it that kept you at it? I think at the beginning, it was, I wanted to achieve that prize. I wanted to get better at that breed. So if you look back on everything what I've competed on, they've been different yeah. breeds. Yeah, loads. From poodles to uh, springers. Springers. Yeah, my first grooming competition that I got bullied into doing from Zoe <laughs> was, <laughs> are you ready for this, 1997. So I've been grooming up quite a while. So I couldn't go in beginner. Wow. I no. couldn't go in. There was no intermediate. You went straight in from beginner to B-stream, which was like your open class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, so quite a you big class to go straight in. And I'm in poodle class with a 13-year-old white poodle. And handstrip class with one of my handstrip Westies because I used to breed and show Westies. And I got second in the poodle class and I got runner up B stream. And the person that got the B stream winner, okay, was it. I met her at that show and then she came, became a very good friend, was Kathy. Carol, you know, uh, and Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. So, because I was doing poodles, Carol and Mandy was like, yeah, come come to the salon and we'll help you. And they lent me a dog oh, the next brilliant. time. And that's what it was about. And it, back then, yes, we might not have had as many competitions and this, that and the other and the social media aspect of it. But everybody wanted to help each other. That first competition I went in, if you see pictures before, I had full face makeup. Yeah. You never saw me compete, did you? Or did you see me at the back end of it? I saw you Compete with a Bichon and a Springer when I very first started competing. Yeah, there might have been groomer. Yeah, might have been. Yeah. So my first competition, I used to cry. So if I'm angry or upset, I cry. Yeah. If I'm really upset, go quiet. So it's a lot different. But I'd be like bawling. So full face makeup, no face makeup. (laughs) Like literally the end of the I would cry and cry. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And I was renowned for crying. Right, everyone knew it's that yeah. girl that cries. Literally, nobody knew my name. They either knew me as like Zoe's friend or the girl that cries. 
yeah, so I'd be I'd be nervous shaking and oh, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And I remember Jolly King's sister was behind me. These names were really big in the industry back then. And she was behind me and she was so lovely. And she turned around to me in the class, she went, you'll be fine, just calm down, you'll be all right. It's, this is what you do and you do this and you do that. And she, she didn't know me from Adam. But no, just a really like, kind person. This is, this is what yeah. needs to happen now, okay? This doesn't happen in there now. Everyone's out for themselves and it needs to stop and go back to just supporting each other. So, yeah, so I did that and I got first, uh, second with my poodle and runner at B-Stream. So then I had to go straight into champion class. Oh, no! <laughs> so yeah. it didn't, it, yeah, so like... Nothing the first like there, is there? Yeah, if you got if you got first, second, or a third in open, what you would class as open, but it was B stream back then. Yeah. You had to go in champion. Okay, didn't matter what breed Blimey. you were in, you were in champion forever. Yeah. Then whatever breed. It does seem like it's come on and changed quite a bit since you had to start. Bless you, because that's quite a lot to to you know go in yeah. the first time so, with, isn't it? And then from there, just did quite well. Got placed in most most ones, and I got runner up groomer of the year when Melanie Winters won groomer of the year with the first time I did a Bichon because it was a backup dog because my poodle had let me down so I did a Bichon and I did a a Lakey and Zoe kindly lent me her Isis her first Bichon and she was like well she's no good you won't get a place with her but it's a second dog because back then You had to do two dogs to win yeah. right here. When um, I interviewed Angela Cayley, she was saying how doing one dog just wasn't a thing back then. You had to have your two di- different yeah. styles at least to take with you. And you know what? Doing two dogs is better than doing one. Do you know why? Because I used to get wound up every time crying. And even when yeah. I won, I then cry. Okay? <laughs> so, like, yeah. The first time I won a Best in Show, I had my Joelle scissors break and I sliced my hand open so I was bleeding while I'm grooming the Bichon. I got, that got wrapped up. Then Zoe gave me some of her scissors. We were next to each other in the same class. So I'm using one pair of scissors. Then she'd go, I need them now. So I'd stop, give her them back. And then she'd give me them back. <laughs> keep, keep and I, swapping and scissors we, over. Yeah, we were like, so we weren't talking because you weren't allowed to talk. But we were like, right. I need them now. Right, okay, you can have them back. Right, okay. And it was like that. And if it weren't for Zoe, because I was just going to walk in, I was like welling up, crying. She, she'd be like, pull yourself together. Get on with it. You <laughs> I was more scared of Zoe <laughs> than I was not <laughs> doing that. And the bandaging, the, the committee of bandaging my hand up because I'm bleeding yeah. everywhere. So we'd gone from finishing that class to the lineup for Best in Show. Okay, so I got first place and I'd beaten Zoe. She got, I think, second maybe, and I got first, I can't remember. And she'd lent me her scissors and I was like, I'm really sorry. She went, struggle. <laughs> she, she felt it was a win for her because she taught me, you know. it's Yeah, you know, supporting each other. and It's her fault why I did, did the competition. So she, it's some of her credit to my yeah. wins is some of her credit. So, and, you know, I'll always be truly grateful for those people that helped me up the ladder I would always be so grateful and respectful for. And I think, again, that's another problem of the industry now is people want to push past everyone and not help each other. We used to travel up to Scotland to compete. And then, obviously, you'd have the British Dog Grooming Championships, which was down in Bedford. There was only like three, three competitions a year back then. So you had to travel to go to them. And when I won the Northern... well. 
they called it the the Northern Groomers at once, and then they changed it to the Professional Groomers. It was the same show, but they changed the name. Yeah. When I won the show there with the Bichon, I got an invitation to go over to uh, New York to wow. compete in Intergroom. Zoe came with me and we went over and we competed in Intergroom and you got that because I won Best in Show and it was amazing. I, I did a clip to Airedale and a Bichon. Bichon didn't have a lot of coat. I didn't get a place. I did a very good job. Even now you look at the dog, it's still quite relevant because some of the mm-hmm. trim, especially with the Bichon, changed so much now. It's very old-fashioned. With the, We don't do the bell head and it's all balanced now, you know, yeah. whereas it wasn't back then really because that big bell head where would you uh, say is your favorite favorite place abroad that you've competed probably Groomania and probably when I won the champion champions with Poogie because I thought I'm not going to get placed here well I literally I looked around and I was like I'm not going to get placed here there's Amy Manser there's Louis DeMartin with the schnauzers and these are people I work with now with Artero and they're like top and amazing and you know when you look at their dogs and you're like and there's Anna Anna Barakala I can never pronounce the name from Russia. And yep. you look at those and they're like, wow, when you get tingles, this class was full of that. It was probably yeah. the strongest class that had been. And there was no way I was getting it. And it was focused on my dog. So when I won, I was like, what? And so shocked. And yeah. I just crying. Because it, it's, it's all the adrenaline that builds up for the nerves and everything. Yeah. My way of releasing that is by crying do you know what I mean if I have a lot of adrenaline it just comes out like that so what do you miss most about groom competitions as a competitor what I miss about competing is the friendships that I've like got over the years acquired along the way yeah yeah and and a lot of them are European and and not in this country as well but like the best times I had to competing was when I was competing against uh, Karina, Melanie, Peter Ensel, and it didn't matter who got placed, as long as we were up there somewhere with each other. We weren't bothered if we got first Order. second. Yeah. Yeah. But I were bothered if my friend was with me. Yeah. And you just wanted to like, do it all together. Yeah, especially Karina, because you could genuinely feel that she felt the same. And even yeah. to this day now, we, we, we laugh and joke about it, and we say that, the industry needs to be more like this because these groomers are missing out on that amazing experience of being next to your best mate and being and happy. The bond and, yeah. yeah. Well, being happy that they won that. And, you know, you look at their groom and their groom's amazing. And you, you're, you're so honoured just to be next to them because their groom's so fabulous. The thing is, I know, I suppose, like now, you you know, people are chasing points and things like that. And that probably brings out too much uh, me me sort of competition competition sort of thing yeah. competition is good and healthy but you need to have like fun it was another show i come back and did a springer and be shown and i remember going into the ring and cheryl howard was there and emma and uh they just looked at me and went white on the table and went i hope you're all right and they were like what are you doing in here get out of here cheryl says <laughs> <laughs> i just started laughing but their faces, it were hilarious. But that, they were all like deadly serious, not talking to each other. And I just broke the silence and they all started laughing. And Cheryl came up to me after that and she went, do you know what? I've had the best fun competing with you 
and yeah. you made it fun yeah keep it light-hearted keep it fun because then you're more likely to stay at it as well aren't you so yeah and I think that's what we need to do we need to encourage these groomers that they might not be getting places but do you know what they're bloody amazing and they it's very difficult as a judge to see these really good groomers not quite getting there and feeling disheartened because they're not getting a place and yeah. they need to stop looking at like the goal of getting the place or the rosette and start looking at getting the knowledge and having the knowledge as the prize rather than a piece of metal that's going to rust or a rosette that's going to collect hair. A lot of my rosettes and trophies are at Artero head, headquarters, obviously more sort of like unique ones here. Uh, but I just can't, I haven't got the room for them all. But you haven't got the horse in your house. <laughs> well, exactly, but my knowledge is with me. My yes. knowledge is with me forever. And no one can take that away. And these groomers that are in, say they're in open class and they should be in champion. And there is a few that I look around and why are you not in champion? And keeping them in open class for as long as they're doing now, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I think they should be in champion and be up against them people and realise that they are good enough to be in there. You know, because there's this cloud of like being in that class is scary when it's not. Yeah, no. It's easier being in champion. Well, I, suppose, I always say to people because I'm obviously an open, but when you say to people that are going up to champ and they're like, "Oh, I'm really nervous to go in champ. I'm really nervous to go in champ." I say, "Well, you won yourself there. Obviously, you deserve yeah. to be there because otherwise, you won't be in it. You've won yourself there. You know, exactly. you've proved to yourself by doing that to get there that you deserve to be in that class. So go in, enjoy it, and be proud of yourself. Bloody and, hell! And, come on. And I, think, and I think that's where we lose groomers sometimes is because there's been this big thing that it's a big deal. And it's not, it's just another class. You just yeah. need a different woman. And if you are not, if if you are not surrounded by people that are better than you or you or people that inspire you, you will always stay in the same place, I always think. And that doesn't matter whether it's grooming, whether it's work related. I think you need to be with people that inspire you, that people make you grow. So when I go and do my spiritualist stuff and with people that I want to grow my skill at I want to yeah. grow that side of me I want I want them to make me feel calmer and relaxed to be able to live a better life or if I was still dancing I want to go to dances that have got men that lead better and men that teach me moves to move better or even women that are dancing that I can watch and see they're doing better and they're using better flair the adrenaline rush of dancing with somebody that is better than you even though it's scary because you know you're going to put foot wrong the the feeling after is such amazing because you've achieved that like when I when I went down and worked um at Harrods and I was the head stylist at Harrods Pet Spa and I got that up and going I'd never got on a train on my own. I never walked into a pub on my own back then. And it was like, I was having to go down to King's Cross and then get a tube from King's Cross to Knightsbridge on my own, right, from Yorkshire. Blimey. And then, yeah, and, and that did so much more for my confidence because I would never have done that. I would and never you've got have... something like a passion that's made you do it because you yeah. want to do it and you have to do that in order to do, the, you know, the thing that you're passionate that's about. Right. So um, it's good because it builds your confidence as you go along, doesn't it, that way? Yeah. I think people, you know, need to push themselves and believe, like, my, my dad always used to say, you know, there's no can't, there's won't, yeah. but there's no can't. You can't not do something, okay? You can always do something. You just need to have someone that believes in you. And sometimes you don't have that person, so you need to be that person. 
Mm. And if you need to fake it to make it, then do it. Because the amount of faking to making I've done over the years, thinking I can stand up and in a conference in America to like thousands of people. But just taking those opportunities that present themselves. Yes. You know, I mean, the, all the things and the experiences you've had are down to working bloody hard, having a good yeah. support network of friends around you by the sounds of it to sort of keep pushing you on if you feel like, oh, no, I don't know if I can. But, you know, you've got to have that belief as well that you yeah, can definitely. do it and that you will get there and take the opportunities that are given to you because, like, you know, you don't want to let them pass you by, do you? They're the ones that get you on your way and teach you things and make these connections and just you know you really sound like a sort of determined sort of character you know even if you're a bit nervous you're still determined and you get there in the end so and would you say oh oh yeah would you say to get into the show ring definitely for me the show ring is more than just a hobby it is the amount of education just going to shows and looking around and talking to breeders. And that's that's what I meant by like the knowledge is sometimes getting lost is some of these breeders have been breeding dogs for 30, 40 years. And when I did my higher grooming qualifications, I went to um, a breeder and she's like, oh, I'm not a groomer. I don't know what I'm doing. I learned more of her in half an hour than I would have done doing 20 seminars she was brilliant. Sue from Workshop, absolutely brilliant. She taught me how to do a wire fox terrier. And I knew roughly how to do one. I could do one right, but she perfected it. She kindly let me borrow a dog and I passed with her dog. You'll see it uh, now and she's amazing. She's such amazing. I mean, people are getting older and stuff like that. There's a lot of knowledge, especially in the show world as well. And these people are obviously, you know, when they go, that knowledge is going with them if if we don't Yeah, so get out there and absorb it up, sort of thing. Yeah, definitely before the yeah. before it's too late. And look at different breeds than you've ever looked at. Because that's how I fell into springers. For my final questions, I ask everyone quite similar questions. So what would you say it is about our industry that impacts on our mental health the most? I think the pressure that not just other people put on us, but we put on us. I feel yeah. I wouldn't have achieved as much if I hadn't have had the backbiting. I know it sounds awful and it's probably not a positive thing to say, but it is a thing that no, needs to honest. be addressed. Yeah. I think it, it needs to be addressed. Is like people's jealousy or people's not understanding the situation and just seeing what they think they're seeing and hateful talk. And I've been on the I've been on the the end of this a few times. And this is like destroying the industry and needs to stop. Okay. We need to support each other. I think that ha- that impacts a lot. That stops some really talented groomers yeah. becoming an amazing or carrying on. Now, the way I see the industry at the minute is we have such good groomers in there, so talented. And sometimes you get some put on pedestals and others that are equally as talented. That They should be there as well. Everybody should be equal and we should all have this yeah. equal thing and not be felt like you know, they can't do it. I wouldn't have achieved enough as much later on, not at the beginning, because at the beginning I was like very green and didn't see all this. Yeah, later on when I was like trying to do better and trying to improve myself, and especially like when you saw me at Groomer of the Year, yeah. the second that was the second time I'd won 
Groomer of the Year. The first time that I won Groomer of the Year, I did really well. I got a lot of TV stuff and I grabbed every opportunity. That's how I ended yeah. up working with Mickey. Yeah, because I, I saw first. you on that, um, what's that undercover groomer or something, was it? Oh, yeah, I did that, different yeah. salons. I <laughs> I'd seen you at competitions and then I saw this programme and I was like, oh, no, I've seen her about. Yeah, but I didn't, look like, I didn't look like I normally did, did I? Because what had happened is I'd like lost a lot of weight and everybody saw me in one way, lost a lot of weight. And because I lost weight, my hair thinned, so I had to have it cut short. And then I did this undercover groomer, so it was great. So not only, I didn't need to put a mask on, like what I'm <laughs> getting. Oh, I don't, yeah. know, I don't actually, I don't, it was so long ago now. It was probably about eight years ago I probably saw this yeah. thing. And I probably didn't meet you for years afterwards, or at least a couple of years afterwards. But yeah. so what do you think is the best change that you've seen in the industry since you've been in the industry? I think it's good that it's uh, we've got more competitions that we've got open. You can pick them. Um, I do feel that I think the organisations of the competitions need to be talking to each other so they don't have the same judges. That would be okay. a nice, a nice thing because it gives more opportunity to everybody. If we have mm-hmm. the same judges all the time, you're just having the same opinion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not that them their judges, them judges are not good, but I think getting a lot of judges from different countries. Yeah, it's nice to have a variety, isn't it? Yeah, needs to come back into the UK. We used to have that. The other good thing, I think, is I know, like, I was one of the first that got sponsored by products. Now, the money I got from Mickey, I put that money into Groom Team England and was one of the founder members to set that up. And that money that I got to do them photo shoots for the the tools, all that money went went to them I didn't take any of that so it's good to see now that people can yeah it's good to see that now people can earn money from being ambassadors or if not necessarily earn money get sponsored to compete I we I tried that at the very beginning to get dog food to sponsor me to like go to America and stuff like that and it wasn't really a thing back then so I do feel, especially not necessarily in America because they were doing it already. I do feel yeah. in the UK, I was one of the the one first the people first. that was doing that. So it's nice to see now that it's more easy, it's more natural. Back then, we used to do seminars for free. We never got paid for them. So the fact that people can earn money, the the bad thing is, it's like a double edged sword. Is social media? Okay, yeah. I think it's very good for some things, yeah. but also. It, it can turn very quickly and be very negative. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think the only problem is with the teaching is the issue you've got is and not teaching it correctly. But if yeah. you're new and you don't understand that and you're following this person because they've just got a lot of followers, but it doesn't necessarily yeah. go and do your exam. I certainly understand what you mean because I've seen videos yeah. like that thinking – that looks like a pretty groom. It looks like a nice groom to go out the salon, but actually, technically, it's not correct. So it's really important, I think, for people to be clear when they're doing these things on on the internet to say, look, this is a pet trim, you know, looks nice in the salon, or actually, this is helpful for your exams. And just be clear, because like you say, new groomers don't know the difference, do they? Yeah. I think the thing is, as well, is if you're a new groomer, you have to do it in a certain way to be able to achieve what they have. Yeah. Okay. And if you do like their bad habits way, even though they can achieve that, so it's like when you're driving, you've got to have two hands on the steering wheel. Yeah. But how many times do we do that now? We always use one. So that's a bad habit. But if you don't do that when you're driving, then your turning is not going to be right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. 
I found when I learn, I used to, and my absolute, and I love grooming this breed now, but when I first started grooming, my nemesis for the first few years, maybe more, was the Westie, because the heads, I just oh, really? could not get the Westie head right. I actually went to see Zoe before my sitting guild level three. And you know how she makes a structured routine start to finish. This is how it's achieved. Right. And you're always going to get the same result, no matter Definitely. really what the coat type is, the head shape is. If you've got a method to make a shape, it's going to be, yeah. you know, at least that shape every time, isn't it? Do you know what yeah. I mean? If you want to develop it, you might sort of fluff things up a bit more at the end and, you know, tweak yeah. and twist things, you know. But for every day in the salon and to get through your exams, if you've got that right. one method with five steps or something, you're not going to go too yeah. far wrong, are it's you? Quicker. It's quick. I'm, I'm anything for making it quick. Okay, you'll mm -hmm. see these groomers that are in really fast and over, over the same area really fast. But I will do like four cuts and it'll be neat, it'll be precise and it'll be right. And... I used to do the scissoring really fast. The problem is with that, what happens is you get a lot of carpal tunnel issues with stuff like that, hence the operations I've had in the past. And so retraining yourself to do it, that's keeping it healthy for you and healthy for the dog and quick and effective to earn money. I wasn't even going to ask this question. It's just popped in my okay. head. Because you've done hand strip, like, you know, terriers, hand strip, gun dogs, you've done pure breed scissor, you've done poodles. But what, what like, is your favourite to compete with and what is your favourite to judge? Ooh, that's a good question. I do enjoy still trimming a Bichon, okay? Yeah. I do I do enjoy judging the Spaniels. Yeah, the Spaniels I probably enjoy judging the best. The grooming I prefer the Bichons. Yeah. I do like doing a nice scissored lamb trim. Yeah. What wrecks my head... And what I have to concentrate on and makes me feel like I've never groomed a dog before is doing a poo me. What's your downtime go to? So when I was younger and I was competing, my downtime was the grooming competitions. Okay. Um, even though it's still in, I do enjoy showing my dogs. Um, that was probably my downtime, but it is still a bit work related. I think mm -hmm. you're getting at my spirituality, aren't you? So I am a, I am qualified at my um, Reiki. I am um, mm -hmm. also I'm a clairvoyant and medium. So I will go. Wow. To, yeah. So I will go to like my sort of well-being center where I sort of meet, do open circles and stuff like that. I enjoy doing that. That helps if there's a lot of anxiety, because when I'm really busy, I love being busy. And back in the yeah. day, I used to use that stress to thrive and win and do better okay yeah obviously i can't do that now i don't have a, i don't have an outlet to do that so instead of using that stress and anxiety to do that i would go and sit and release the stress and anxiety by going to an open circle or going to a meeting i can't at the moment because of obviously my neck and stuff but i used to do modern jive before the accident so i used to do dancing of course yeah 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 and, and that was another that was another outlet that used to be brilliant and before that way before that I used to do CrossFit and hopefully wow. when they fit everything I would love to go back to doing that weightlifting weightlifting oh my god weightlifting or boxing ladies that's what you need to do <laughs> if you're stressed and you've got customers that are stressed and you're anxious and things like that so one day I would go dancing the next day I would go weightlifting 
I would have something on every night. It's a bit yeah. different now I've got a partner, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I would have something on every night. Okay. Yeah. And everyone was like, how do you do everything? Yeah. And it's like, it was easy. If you look back now, it's like, how did I have time to do all that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but do you think every different thing that you do brings a different kind of energy and it's kind of a break from the other thing anyway? Yeah, but, and say with your driving and with your spirit community they're both sort of communities that are completely away from the, the grooming That's aspect right. of your life i don't go to spirit church but gary he goes to circle and he he's into his spirituality and i can see that when he comes home he feels a lot more relaxed he seems a lot lighter mm. he, if he's been having a stressful couple of days he just seems in a better mood when he comes home and i think it's really nice that you've got several other communities outside of your grooming that yeah. you can go and you know switch off with and be engaged by different things so I do think it's really important that you I didn't at the beginning mm-hmm. and I think um at the beginning my outlet was work and yeah. work 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 and at the end of the day something has to give and it's normally a personal life normally people who you're with so obviously I don't have children And I think um, some of that is, one, I knew that I would have difficulty having children because I'm a IVF baby. But two, I think I used my work life to be busy, do not have to deal with stuff like that. So I probably had partners that were very frustrated that I was out going weekend doing dog shows or doing grooming or I would stay late at work and work, 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 like 30 dogs a day. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yes, I did build two successful businesses and training college with that and I managed to buy my own house before I needed to I then have been able to move and, and get this house that I am at now all on my own without any part which is amazing yeah but the thing is as well to be independent and do that you also then have a double-edged sword of yeah. who wants to be with someone like that do you see what I mean well I think the thing is especially with our industry it's like I think at the beginning in you i mean we all love it and we all like it enough to still like you know have a hand in it whether it's free trading whether it's free grooming whether you know everyone likes being in the industry i think at the beginning you become so consumed by it and you're absorbing everything up like a sponge and it's oh i'm going to this and i'm going to this and i'm doing this but then like you say there's that little sort of fine line between being obsessed and loving it and doing everything to then actually just feeling a little bit suffocated by it all because that is your whole life but i think what happened is like I did I did that for so long and when I when I won uh champion champions it was like oh I've got to stop now I've won everything yeah. and that feeling was awful that feeling was and I think after that that's when I sort of looked at the fitness at that time and then I was losing weight so I was doing the fitness and I was doing the crossfit and the crossfit community is a very community it's not just like a gym and it's very uplifting and very I'm not joking the amount of positivity in that industry is is so so effective and again you i get it from the spiritual side as well and the dancing as well so i had in the different communities that were not related to my work so i had that release and i could get that endorphin rush by going and doing weights in crossfit and then i'd do that and then the like an hour later go dancing and the dancing would like release stress Obviously, yeah. now I can't do that in the moment. Hopefully, I'm going to be able to get back to that after my operations and stuff. And I miss that. So now I, I tend to use 
um my outlets are like the spirituality side of it you know the the open circles I do clairvoyant tarot reading that sort of stuff but also my partner going out for walks in the country we Mm -hmm. we like hiking and stuff like that he loves biking if he he has a very stressful job and if he doesn't uh go out on his bike and de-stress yeah he, he he needs to do that and it's good to do that one together it's good to know one. what helps you and be able to put it into yeah. a routine we've had a really really nice conversation i think we've yeah. covered so yeah. many things it's been so nice talking to you i've rambled a lot sorry no that's good <laughs> no thank you and i think what you're doing with these podcasts are great though so, you know keep going because oh, I've, I've listened to i listened to the one that lorraine did that were lovely Keep, keep going and thanks for having me see you later bye bye what I loved about that interview was how Alison was so honest about the hard work that she's had to put in throughout her career and it was so refreshing to hear her credit the people who have helped her along the way and the advice that I took from that interview is to stay focused keep going appreciate and support the people around you and most of all Believe in yourself and absorb as much education and advice that you can from each experience. Next week, I will be talking with Verity Hardcastle. I've been reading Verity's book, Happy Dog, Happy You, and I just want every customer to go out and buy a copy. I've also learnt a few tricks to help with training my dogs. So for now, I hope you have a good week, and I'll see you next Monday. Cheerio! (laughs)